As of today, we are three months and change away from the start of the 2019 college football season. We're more than halfway there, but the roughest stretch still remains. Let's be real. The summer is agonizing for college football fans. Everything feels so close, yet so far away. But it didn't used to always be this challenging. For many years, we had something in the, in the beginning of July to look forward to that would really make the last five weeks go by much quicker. Of course, I'm talking about the NCAA football video game series, which was unceremoniously stripped from us in 2013, following a series of very unpopular lawsuits relating to player likeness issues. The game is sorely missed. For lots of college football fans, it marks the true beginning of the season. The first game isn't for another five weeks? No matter. We could play the virtual season in early July. Excited about a true freshman you haven't seen in person yet? It was always a thrill making them a starter and seeing them represented on the field with the players you already knew and loved. I could go on and on. Although video game playing has certainly waned into adulthood, I know Lee and I have fond memories of playing the various iterations of the game growing up. I remember when we first owned a PlayStation 2, and Lee and I obtained a copy of NCAA Football 2002. Chris Winkie was on the cover. I would spend hours watching Lee cater his rosters perfectly, making sure every detail was as accurate as possible, and then being fired up watching him play against big-time schools on the road as he took his teams to the national title. His obsession turned into my obsession, and it lasted over a decade until NCAA 14, the last iteration in the series. Unfortunately, there hadn't been much progress in reviving the series since it was shuttered, until very recently. On May 14th, the NCAA announced the formation of a committee that would look at the issue of player likeness in college athletics. This could be a huge first step in revitalizing the dead franchise, and also a signal that the NCAA is potentially willing to evolve in some of their more long-standing views. EA Sports is certainly interested in making the game again. It was never their decision to shutter the franchise in the first place. The lawsuits at the time stated that EA Sports could not make the game using player likeness without compensating the players, which they were very much willing to do. However, that would have violated NCAA rules, and thus, the NCAA decided not to renew their licensing agreement with the game, effectively killing it. I've always been struck by how empty the middle of the summer started to feel without that game. Amongst young college football fans, it's not merely just a form of nostalgia, but a significant cultural sticking point within our sport. Let's hope this newly formed NCAA committee will come to the correct conclusions. This video game is part and parcel of college football and carries heavy weight across an entire generation of football fans. Simply put, that video game series is part of college football. Here's to a triumphant return, sooner rather than later. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Adrian Peterson is the deep back for Oklahoma. Gets it. Running to the left side, spinning away, and he is gone. Eight consecutive games, he's run for 100 yards or more, and he just streaked for that one. He has tied Poe James' record. And just that quickly, they break your heart. The one and only Adrian Peterson welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. AD's 80-yard touchdown run gave the Sooners a 35-21 lead over Oklahoma State back on October 30th. 
2004. OU went on to beat its Bedlam rival 38-35 in Stillwater. AD was the highlight of that clip, but today's intro is actually designed to feature former Oklahoma All-American offensive lineman Jamal Brown. Brown was in there blocking for AD on that touchdown run. Brown went on to win the Outland Trophy in 2004 before being drafted in the first round by the Saints. Hey, everybody. I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top with his opening take. We've had a few weeks off to relax, regroup, and reload some content for the show as the long offseason continues. As of now, we're 102 days away from Oklahoma versus Houston. Of course, that game moved to Sunday night, September the 1st, a 6.30 kickoff in Norman. Here's the plan for today. We're going to do some depth chart predictions. Now, last year, I think we did these predictions in the middle of spring practice, so a bit of a change this time around. We're going to do it later in the calendar year, so I guess in theory, our predictions will be based off of some better information, but... On the other hand, Alex Grinch is a bit of a wild card on the defensive side of the ball. So uh, who knows if using last season's depth chart is going to be a reliable way to help us predict the 2019 starters and reserves. So uh, we'll, we'll get to it. Who knows? Also, a note, at the end of the show, when we're all done talking about the Oklahoma depth chart predictions, Grant and I are going to talk about Game of Thrones. Now, the series finale aired on Sunday. Both of us very much enjoy that show. Maybe a good number of you who listen to this podcast also like Game of Thrones. If you'd like to hear Grant and I give our thoughts on that finale and the final season and just kind of the show in general, you're invited to stick around after all the Oklahoma football talk. And if you're not into Game of Thrones at all and you couldn't care less about what we have to say about the show, well, feel free to skip that whole discussion. No hard feelings. So time to bring back in Grant. Grant, I didn't anticipate an NCAA football video game opening take today, but I I liked it. I haven't thought about that game in a lot of years. Yeah, you know, I was going through and just sort of trying to see, you know, what has actually happened in terms of college football news since we last recorded, and there really hasn't been a whole lot, and so I, I came across this thing that happened a week ago with the NCAA announcing that committee, and I, I think it's fairly safe to say that that's probably going to pave the way towards reviving the video game franchise. I think we're probably going to see it again here in the new future, or in the near future, so um, of course, like I said, I'm an adult now. If I'm lucky, I maybe get an hour of video games in like every other week, uh, so it's probably not going to be something I'm going to really ever be able to play a lot of again, but... I, I still think it's important for college football. I, I think it, especially to our generation, Lee, uh, that game was a really big deal, especially amongst us college football fans. So I just wanted to give it a little shout out. Yeah, I think back to all the hours and time put into that game over all the years. And then I look at my life right now as an adult and I haven't played a video game in probably four years and I think, wow, I could have accomplished so many more things when I was younger if I didn't play video games. So, oh, you were playing that when you were like 13, 14 years old. You know, we were. Yeah, but that game. But then, even into college and stuff, and you know, playing other games. And yeah, just, but it's not I mean, like it, it's not like we weren't you know doing other things too. It was just I you know. Yeah, it, but it just it's so easy to look back though and think, man, what a waste of time that was. But, sure. Hey, you know it. When you you're a kid, that, you don't but, know anything and. Uh, but anyways, whatever that, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, if the game came out again, that'd, that'd be pretty interesting, especially if they have the names already programmed in. I think you're a little, uh, I think you're a little hard on yourself there. It's like, I, I, I think you, a little bit of revisionist history here. If, if you kind of don't recall, we didn't really watch a lot of TV at all growing up. We played baseball a lot. That's what we were doing in the summers. So it's not like we, you know, 
it's, it's not like we were just sitting around doing nothing all the time. That's, you know, when we had time well, to yeah. relax and sit around, that's what we did. Okay. So, Grant, get the, I did the math. Get this. And after this week's show, so it's coming out Wednesday, May 22nd, there are nine more weeks until Oklahoma's going to be in fall camp. And I can't guarantee the listeners out there that we're going to have new episodes every single week during that time. But, I mean, it'd be cool if we can do it. So, I mean, the listeners out there, you'd like us to take a way too early look at Oklahoma's 2019 opponents. We did that last summer. Uh, So I think we can start that next week. We'll plan on starting that next week in next week's episode. I'm trying to decide on the format we're going to use because I think last year we covered three or four teams per episode. So we got through it in about three or four different episodes. I'm not sure if we're going to do that again this time. Maybe we'll do one or maybe just two per week. I don't know. Or maybe we'll skip some teams that are kind of uninteresting, like, for instance, Kansas. Even though I guess this year with Les Miles being the head coach, there's a little more interest there. Also, one listener pitched the idea for us to look at some other conferences as a whole and predict some conference champions in the summertime. So that's another exercise that we'll have for for the summer months as well. And just to note, Big 12 Football Media Days, that's scheduled for July 15th and July 16th. And this year it's going to be at Jerry's World in Arlington. So just a heads up on that, the show schedule for that week, probably going to be a bit unusual depending on if I go down to Dallas again, to cover the Big 12 football media days for News 9 like I did last year. So there's some, uh, some house cleaning there. Just want to get that information out. So, Grant, let's get to it. Let's make some predictions. We're going to start with the offense because would you agree with me the offense is probably the more, more easy task of the two sides of the ball, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, it gets a little more difficult once you get into the too deep. Um, I definitely had to think about some stuff there, but – yeah, I mean, this is uh, the starters on the offense are should be pretty cut and dry, but you never know. We'll see if there's some fireworks. So here's the format we're going to do this. We don't know what our depth charts look like. We have them written down on separate pieces of paper. And so as we go, we're going to unveil them and then maybe some debate will happen whenever our players are different than others. So we're going to do the two deep. I know last year, I think at least for me, I just did the starters. I didn't think about doing reserves, and then you did the two deep. So you had more people than I did. This time I did do the two deep. So I thought all the way through. So we'll have more content for you. So you know, let's start with the easiest one, Grant, quarterback. And Jalen Hurts is going to be the starting quarterback. We can just go ahead and and pin him in right now. Correct. Tanner Mordecai, baby. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, Jalen Hurts. T- Tanner. <laughs> Now, so here's the here's here's the thing. Does Tanner Mordecai is he the backup, or is Spencer Rattler come in and just set the world on fire and push Jalen Hurts to maybe even be the starter? Grant, what do you think? I I don't think there's there's much chance of that happening. Um, no, me neither. It I think it's possible that Rattler overtakes Mordecai over the course of the season because I think I think Lincoln Riley and the offensive staff are going to work like hell to get him into his four games probably so he can get some action in. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's perfectly, yeah. I, I think it's reasonable to, to think it's a possibility that maybe Rattler could overtake Mordecai, but uh, don't forget that pretty much everything we've heard about Tanner Mordecai has been extremely positive, but we just kind of got that bad taste in our mouth from his frankly awful performance in the spring game. But, you know, Tanner Mordecai is uh, by all, you know, by all evidence that we have the spring game, notwithstanding probably a pretty good player. All right, so we each have Hertz and Mordecai, one, two on the quarterback depth chart. Running back, I think we're going to be the same as well. 
Uh, I'll let you go ahead and start with the running background. Who's starting? Who's number one? I Lee, this was I. You know, I I do have a lot of ores in this depth chart, and uh, this was one where I I I've really struggled to maybe put an ore in there, but I decided not to. I, I do have Trey Sermon as the top guy, but I mean, every everybody knows it's it's going to be a Sermon and Brooks kind of split backfield. So Sermon's your top guy. Yeah, Sermon's my top guy. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, me too. So I, I mean, so we're gonna be the same. So Sermon Brooks one two, and yeah, I mean, as far as the running backs go, we've seen this the last couple of years. I mean, yeah, like Bradley plays the hot hand, but I mean, he has those you know two three guys. I mean, it's the depth chart, the depth at running back has been so strong that you know whoever. I mean, obviously it was Rodney Anderson the last eight weeks of twenty seventeen because he just had the hot hand. He was so good last year. It was you know Trey Sermon for parts, and then it was. Kennedy Brooks so yeah I mean Sermon Brooks he's your one two and just for fun uh is I mean right now your third guy it it's got I'm gonna guess TJ Pledger because that's my third guy as well yeah and that's that's you know I I do really like uh Ramondre Stevenson the Juco the Juco guy coming in uh but he's not on campus yet I don't think it's been confirmed that he's eligible yet so um, I'm not gonna put him up three there but yeah you know I I will put pleasure there. I think he'll probably have a you know a bit a bit of a bigger role this year in the offense. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I think it's going to be the Sermon and Brooks show for a large majority of the season. Next position that ever important fullback slash H back role, whatever you want to call it. I mean, they play all the positions it seems like, and really the question for this comes down to who is Riley going to trust with more snaps, Braden Willis or Jeremiah Hall? I've got. Braden Willis leading the way at the H-back spot. Grant, what about you? Lee, I have Braden Willis there, but I, I did put an or here because I think they're both going to play quite a bit, actually. I think we're probably going to see some funky formations with these guys, uh, mostly to take advantage of Braden Willis's skill set, which is he's a, you know, he's a big dude who can catch and he runs like a deer. So, um, And also, I mean, Jeremiah Hall, ever since kind of we've seen him in the middle of this past season, he's been really good. Uh, he looks like he's ready to kind of take over that role. So um, these are two guys I think are going to get plenty of run over the course of the year. We'll probably see Braden um, in more sets where they're trying to throw the ball. We'll see Jeremiah probably in a lot of power sets, I would guess. Yeah, I agree with you. The, these three positions, quarterback, running back, and H-back, fullback, whatever you want to call it, I mean, three of the easiest positions to predict. That's why we're doing them first. Um, and I agree. I think both Willis and Hall are going to get a lot of playing time. It's just kind of whatever the – the game plan calls for that week or whatever Riley wants to do. I think both of them are capable. Obviously, Hall has a little more experience. Last year, he had more snaps. And we saw Hall, I mean, make some explosive plays in the spring game, running the football when he was pushed into running back duty, essentially, because of guys that were sitting out of that spring game. So both those guys, definitely excited for seeing how they how they are implemented in Lincoln Riley's offense. So now let's go to – so here's what we got. We got the offensive line, and we have the wide receiver core – and so with the wide receiver core, we'll do that second. But just a heads up, we're going to do the X receiver, the Y receiver, the Z receiver. And also in the spring game, they had an H receiver, which was basically whenever Oklahoma would go with, with a four wide receiver set. So we'll kind of we'll do that kind of fourth receiver too once we get there. But I'm kind of jumping ahead. Let's get to the offensive line. And this is where it's going to be interesting, I think, Grant, because we have obviously five positions there. We have one position that both of us are going to pencil in there obviously at center and that's a healthy creed humphrey correct correct all right so essentially we got four positions grant that are wide open uh well based I off of last that. year because 
well, based off last year, the, the guys are gone, so the starters are gone, all in the NFL now. So let's start, you know, let's see. I mean, it may, it's easy to go left to right, but let's see. Where should we start? Let's start on the right. Let's go, let's go right to left because the left tackle, let's be honest, is the, is the only one that's not really sewn up, in my opinion. Okay. So we'll go right to left. Grant, I'll let you start. Who's your starting right tackle right now in late May? Adrian Neely. This is a guy who um, everything we've heard about him has been outstandingly positive. He was the guy on the offensive line who probably impressed me the most in the spring game. Just not a lot of garbage on that side for Major Neely. I think you can pencil him in. Um, and you know what? When he was on the field this past season, too, in mop-up duty, he looked very comfortable. Uh, he might be kind of your next Bobby Evans-like player over there on the right, I think. All right. I also have Ely at right tackle, so we're on the same page here. Going into his third year in the program, he played in six games a season ago. The dude's just huge, 6'6", 328. And I think just the evidence at this point suggests that he's going to be the starting right tackle, and he'll be the guy that's taken over for the departed Cody Ford. So we agree on Adrian Ely at right tackle. What about his backup? Who's, uh, who's your two-deep right tackle at the moment? I think, yeah, this is when we're going to kind of start you know, guessing a little bit, but educated guesses. We have Finley Felix, the ju- uh, the junior college transfer, as his backup at uh, on the right side. Um, if I recall, they had they had Felix playing a little bit of left tackle. I think in the spring, almost exclusively. I think. Um, mm-hmm. Well, uh, when once we get to left tackle, I will I will explain why I don't have Finley over there. Um, but yeah, I, I think Finley Felix is is a guy who was certainly recruited. You know, to add extra depth right away. And I think he's going to provide that backing up Adrian Ely. And he's probably going to be, you know, he's going to be one of the top seven guys on the offensive line, probably. All right. For my backup right tackle, I have David Swaby. And I'm pretty sure it's how you pronounce it, Swaby. He, uh, and that's where he was in the spring game. I mean, he was backing up Ely at right tackle. So uh, not a whole lot to go on him. He didn't play at all last year. He's a Juco transfer. He's a big dude, man. I mean, he is tall. He's 6'9". 6'9". Uh, listed at 320. Uh, they had him again. They had him backing him up in the spring game. So that's why I'm just going to go with him at right tackle behind Adrian Ely. So our first difference right there, the second team right tackle. And sure. And, you know, I'm, I'm making a lot of these guesses with the full knowledge that Bill Biedenboe likes to experiment in the, in the spring. If you recall last year, you know, he was moving Bobby Evans and Cody Ford everywhere. And, you know, it ended up actually, I think he ended up liking what he saw in the spring and, and he, you know, Cody played right. Bobby played the left. Um, so I, Beanbow is just not scared at all to experiment. And I think we're probably going to see a lot, some different combinations when every, when the entire line is fully healthy, everybody is there. Uh, everybody's on campus. We're, we're going to see some, some different things. We're going to see a lot of uh, shifting, I'm, I'm assuming. So next up, we have the right guard. And honestly, Grant, I think the, the interior part of the line is pretty much set, in my opinion. And so I guess I won't jump ahead to the left guard as well, but I'll just say that now and, and say that my right guard, I have Tyrese Robinson in at right guard starting. Uh, I think that, uh, let's see, I, where are my notes on Tyrese Robinson? Uh, we kind of determined, if, if you remember during the spring, we kind of determined who the ones were going to be. Kind of, and I think that interior line, Marky, uh, Tyrese Robinson, was one of those guys that I think was solidly in the ones category. So I'm just going to stick with that right now. Him in at uh, right guard. Who do you have? And he also, I, I also have Tyrese Robinson, and he also backed up Drew Samia last year. So, um, 
and he's also a, a you know a highly sought after recruit. It just it just makes sense. Right, right. And so and just to kind of continue to go on to left guard, one of the guys that we had decided that was part of the ones was Marquise Hayes at left guard. So I'm going to have Marquise Hayes penciled in right now as the starting left guard. What about you? Yeah, same here. I think Marquise Hayes um, alongside Creed Humphrey is going to be uh, the guy who kind of blows up this year. I think he's 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 going to be a potential All-American. He's that good. And so, yeah, I, I think those guys, again, that interior part of the line is pretty much set. I suppose I jumped over the backup right guard. So now we can get to the second team right guard, second team left guard. Uh, so to right guard, my second team player, I'm going to go by with what we've seen in the spring so far. I know that this guy is one of the highly recruited tackles, but Bray Walker had been playing guard this spring, and I'm going to say that he's the backup right guard. What about you? All right, Lee, here's where we're going to have big differences. Um, and so I actually have the exact same backup for left guard, right guard, and center, um, just because I think I, I just I didn't know what to put. Uh, put. And so, Lee, that is the, the new grad transfer coming in, R.J. Proctor. Um, I think he is going to be the sixth ask, offensive okay. lineman. Okay. And so See, he I was, has. And, and I was going to get to that and say, where does he fit in? So okay. Okay, yeah, and because he is, he started. You know, he, he started at all of those positions in college before. He started at left guard. He started at center. He started at right guard. Um, so I just think it kind of makes sense that he's going to be sort of the the you know the Cody Ford of 2017. He just kind of moves in and out uh, of a lot of different positions. Um, of course, center Cody never played center, but R.J. Proctor has, and I, I just thought it was kind of the obvious conclusion because behind Creed right now, they don't they don't have a scholarship center. Um, I think it's assumed that the true freshman E.J. and Doma Ogar is probably going to be a center, uh, but I, I feel much more comfortable putting the you know the guy playing in his fourth year of college football there, a guy who has started multiple games in college as Creed's backup. Okay, yeah, that's uh, so you had Proctor at backup for right guard and left guard, and I mean that's like you said. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. We saw that. We've seen that, or where they get like they're kind of their their five, and then they have their their couple backups that that kind of fill in when needed. Yeah, I think so, I, I just yeah. I'm sure they they told Proctor that he's going to have every opportunity to win a job, uh, but I, I think he's going to be the offensive line utility guy, and I mean that's that's a valuable role. He's going to play a lot if if that's the case. Yeah, I like that. That's a good call. And, you know, I hadn't done a whole lot of research on him aside from knowing that he's a grad transfer. So obviously he's played a lot, but that makes a lot of sense. I don't have Proctor in my two deep, but now that I'm thinking more about it and hearing you, it he probably will be. Uh, my backup left guard, and I'm just basing this a lot on the spring, was uh, is Daryl Simpson. But it, I, I tend to kind of agree with you more that, you know, Proctor, he'll get every opportunity to play. And unless he just isn't anywhere near as talented as, these other players, he'll he'll probably be that that kind of you know first or second backup guy whenever they need somebody to come in there and spell some people. So that brings us to the left tackle, and this is why we save this for the end. And um, you know who knows what we're gonna have. Well, I guess we both know, but I don't, I don't know who your left tackle is. You don't know who mine is. Let's see. I'll let you. I'll let you start. Who's your starting left tackle? Lee, I just kind of punted on this one, and I put Eric Swinson, the guy who started all spring. Um, I'm skeptical just because this is his fourth year in the program. Um, you know, if he hadn't, if he, if he hasn't made noise until now, it kind of does concern me a little bit. But, you know, he did have he did have five NFL draft picks in front of him, so we can forgive him for that a little bit. 
Um, what about you? I also have Eric Swenson, and you know, you, yeah, you know me. I just like to default to seniority absent any other information, and that's why I'm going to go with Swenson winning the job. And like you said, it's his fourth year. He's played in just 10 total games, so, uh, and, and just four a year ago. So he played just sparingly a season ago. Uh, but he was the number one left tackle during the spring. Uh, his main competition, I think, seems to be Finley Felix, who you have backing up the right tackle. So, uh, you know, perhaps Felix ends up being more talented than Swinson, and we see him overtake Swinson by the end of fall camp. But this is one of those things where, as of now, I'm going to go Swinson at left tackle, and then as my backup, I'm going to go with Finley Felix. Who's your backup? Are you, do you have like a swing guy for left tackle? Proctor? It's Bray Walker. Bray Walker. Um, and so this is why I this is why I struggled with it. Bray Walker was recruited to Oklahoma to be a to be an all star left tackle, um, and so I I would not be surprised if we have a Creed Humphrey Jonathan Alvarez situation here. Um, of course, I don't think we've had uh, you know as many positive things we've heard about Bray Walker as we did about Creed Humphrey at this time, but I just you know I play the play the more talented player. I, I just that that's kind of where I am at, at all times. And uh, of course, we don't even know at this time if Bray Walker is going to be a left tackle. If he, you know the the move to guard may be permanent, but um, I think everyone expected him to be a left tackle coming in, and I still think that's where he's going to end up. And uh, I think I, I think what the coaching staff hopes is that Bray Walker will rise up and take that job. It's just whether or not he does or not. So um, you, I want the most talented guys in there. Bray Walker was a you know was a top forty recruit in the country. Top, I think a top two offensive line recruit in the country. Um, guy's talented. Guy's huge. He's a monster. Um, hopefully he's put it all together. I guess we'll see. Or he's not going to put it all together yet, but at least started to put it together. So one name that we have not mentioned at all in the two deep of offensive linemen, and that guy is Michael Thompson. Grant, have you put any thought into Michael Thompson? What's going to happen with him I have a bit of a conspiracy type theory thing that maybe you know more about, but I did some little bit of research and I couldn't find anything. But before I get into that, did you think about putting Michael Thompson at all into your two deep? Yes, I thought about putting him at the backup to Eric Swenson at left tackle, um, just because. And I, you know, we're not really basing this off a lot. He just made the move in the spring. Uh, we saw him in the spring game. I mean, he. he let's be completely frank about it. it when you look at him in his pads and his jersey, his uniform, when you actually see him on the field, he looks like an NFL left tackle. Just flat out, he does. Um, having that been said, the guy has only played the position at the college level for three months. So um, I, I just I wasn't comfortable putting him in there yet. That that might be you know a, a year long experiment on their part for him to finally get it. And for what it's worth, Thompson backed up Finley Felix at left tackle in that spring game. So here's my conspiracy type thought that probably is nothing, but I, you know, I kind of noticed this, and I think it's worth bringing up because it's a podcast about OU football, and it might be fun to discuss. So I was looking at the roster, and on the website for Oklahoma, they have the spring roster that's separate from their website page with all of the names and the drop downs and the, the pictures, and it's a spring roster that they gave us you know, first day of spring practice. And on that roster, it lists Michael Thompson as an offensive lineman. It's like, okay, he switched positions. But on that main Oklahoma roster that now does not have players on the roster anymore, like 
like Tyree Slot, who we know is gone now. So it has been updated as far as you know taking people off the roster. Uh, on that website, on that roster, Grant, it has Michael Thompson listed as a defensive tackle. And so I don't know if that's always been that case, if it's just carried over from last season. They just, they just overlooked it and they haven't updated it yet. Or if for some weird reason they've updated it. And is it possible that now that Lot's gone and we know that uh, – who was it? Um, who was the def- one of the defensive linemen we know that was injured along with Caleb Kelly? Jordan he, Kelly. Jordan Kelly. is, is that, I mean, what – is there uh, – you know, it might be a conspiracy theorist, but are they thinking about maybe moving Michael Thompson back to the defensive line? I, for depth. I can't. I can't see that. I mean, for depth, what, I, mean, I mean, I haven't heard anything, and this could just be again. They haven't updated the website, but I just something I noticed as I was looking over the roster. Yeah, for, uh, I, the I, roster I see it too. Uh, I, I I noticed that as well, and I just Michael Thompson is so freaking big. I, I just I don't know if six five three thirty six fits in what Alex Grinch wants to do. Right, right. As much as as see, as much and, as and I that's wish part of the it reason did. why they moved him, I think. But did you also notice too? I mean, this is he's the only. He's the only one on the roster listed as a defensive tackle. Everyone yeah. else is listed as, def- I as defensive line. I, I I am sure it is just an oversight, but still, yeah, I mean, it probably is. I just thought it might be fun for podcast fodder. Yeah, I just I, I I just can't get over the fact just how much of an offensive lineman he looked like in the spring. That guy's an, that guy's an offensive lineman. Just uh, for the record, I'm looking at last season's roster on that same website. And you know it's got Michael Thompson as a defensive tackle, but it's also got Marquez Overton as a defensive tackle, Zacchaeus McKinney as a defensive tackle. They have multiple defensive tackles on the roster from last year, but now you go to this year, and it's just Michael Thompson is the only one with a defensive tackle uh, indication. So that's interesting. I don't know why that's the case. So ten full hat, just you know, it's there. Um, but yeah, I don't have him in the two deep for offensive line. Uh, this is all just speculation, just for fun. I again, I I doubt. Like, like you make a good point. I mean, they moved him to offensive line probably because he's so big. And I mean, they said that this is the best chance of him getting playing time earlier was offensive line. But that, again, that was before you know the injury to Kelly. Um, both, I guess, both well, Jordan Kelly, and I know that Tyree Slot was a defensive end. But I mean, that's another player off her defensive line gone. So the defensive line depth is taking a bit of a hit. Um, all right, that's all we have for offensive linemen, I believe. I know we got you know, a couple walk-ons like that have got time in the spring. Ian McIver, Clayton Woods, Bryce Roberts are in the mix, but you know that that's that their depth. Well, you know, not not much to see there. Let's go to the wide receivers, and the first up we got the X, Y, Z, and then we have the H. Grant, uh, let's start with the X, and I think the X is uh, pretty easy. CD Lamb. CD Lamb. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> number two in your programs, number one in your heart. I love C.D. Lamb, man. <laughs> guy's good. So C.D. Lamb, that's where he's been. He's the X receiver. And speaking of Lamb and speaking of it being easy to predict, I think Y is the same. That's where Grant Calcaterra has been. And Grant Calcaterra is going to be my starting Y receiver. That's a tight end spot. Grant, uh, do you envision Calcaterra getting his job taken? I do not at all, Lee. I think uh, I think the two guys that you're likely to see on the field for every single play for Oklahoma uh, are C.D. Lamb and Grant Calcaterra of the receivers. I think those guys are likely never to really leave the field. So that's your X and Y guys. 
And the next one's interesting because Marquise Brown is gone, the Z receiver. Where does you know, the Z receiver, that's where you know, we're going to have maybe some debate here. You know, who's going to play that Z spot? Uh, Grant, I'll let you go first. Who is your number one player at the Z wide receiver position? Rambo. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend like this isn't probably the most competitive, you know, starting spot available. Eh, maybe H, but I don't, I don't know if, if the H, you know, the H receiver slot's going to get a lot of run. Um, yeah, this is going to be really competitive, I think. Um, uh, the, the guys I think you're really going to see there, I'm going to put Rambo up there just because this, that's kind of the consensus. Um, but after him, I mean, you got guys like Jaqueline Crawford, I think is the first one that comes to mind. And then the, the three freshman receivers, I think Jaden Hazelwood is probably the most likely to be on that, on, on, you know, the Z receiver. Um, so that's, that's what I have there as, as my depth. I know I kind of gave away the entire game there, but, um, (laughs) I, I I think I, I, I generally do thankfully. And once, once summer practice rolls around, it, it might be a toss up for that position between Rambo Crawford and, and Hazelwood or Weiss or, or Bridges maybe. All right. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that Rambo would be the guy based on seniority. He had a you know, the great touchdown and, and the orange bowl he came on after Marquise Brown was injured last year. So he's got, he's got the outstanding hair as well. <laughs> he's a lot faster, too, than we all kind of thought. I mean, just what we saw in that orange bowl. We didn't know he was a burner like that. Well, if you hear what you if, need in this. What? Well, yeah, I mean, when, when you listen to kind of like everyone else talk, though, uh, when you hear the players talk, they always mention Charleston Rambo as one of the fastest guys on the team. Um. And that's generally what Lincoln Riley likes out of that Z receiver position is he because he, that, that's what Marquise Brown played. He likes the speed burners there, which is why I have you know Crawford there. All right, well, here's my Z player. And even though I'm a guy who usually defaults to seniority here, I'm going to, I guess, make my one hottish potential take of uh, the offensive starters. My starting Z is going to Trajan Bridges. I have Bridges as the starter there. He he seems to have a bit of an edge, I think, based on the spring game. He was there playing alongside Jalen Hurts in that Z spot. Three grabs for 76 yards in that game. I, you know, I'm not so sure that he's got the speed like a Charleston Rambo or a Marquise Brown. In fact, I'm pretty sure he does not have that. Uh, and I agree. I mean, this is going to be a fluid position. You know, I, I bet considering all that talent, at the wide receiver spot on this roster. Uh, there's going to be guys coming in and going here. But in late May, I'm just I'm going to go with Trajan Bridges as your starting Z receiver. I That's my number one guy there. And uh, backing him up, I have Jaden Hazelwood, not Charleston Rambo. And so I'm going to go talent over seniority at that Z receiver spot. Who do you have? I know you kind of went through a little bit of it, but who's your – Who's your technically your your second Z receiver? Oh, geez, what did I do with it? Uh, well, I, I did an or. It's Jaquelin Jaqu- Crawford or Jaden Hazelwood, um, and that's only because I, I have I have Trajan somewhere else. So um, we'll uh, we'll get to that. I, I do think Bridges is probably the best bet of all of the freshmen to start, just because he seems to be the most polished. He kind of reminds me Lee of like a a little bit taller, maybe a little longer Joaquin Iglesias. And if he has a career like Joaquin Iglesias, I think we'll take that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, I suppose we, we didn't do too deep with the X and Y, so 
because those positions were pretty much set in stone. But yeah, who's going to back up? I mean, I think for for the Y position, it's tied in. But you know, I for me, my backup there is going to be Lee Morris because he's been the Y guy along with Calcaterra, even though he's not you know your true tight end. And and really, uh, I mean, that position in Oklahoma's offense can be so many different things. So Lee Morris is my uh, two deep Y receiver. Who was your uh, second tight end or second Y receiver behind Calcaterra? Yeah, it's Lee Morris. Lee Morris as well. Um, and then, you know, Austin Stogner is probably going to get some run behind him as well. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, this is, they, there's just a lot of, they have an embarrassment of riches in terms of pass catchers. You know, I just, the fact that, the fact that Jaqueline Crawford is going to struggle to get on the field is absurd. Um, like I said, I, I think we said yeah, this I'm after. see where they play. I think we said this after the spring, but, you know, they're, it's, some people are going to start transferring out. I think it's almost inevitable. Yeah, there's uh, yeah a lot of talent there uh, behind CD Lamb. I have Theo Weiss. He's my backup X receiver, and I got Crawford behind Weiss because Crawford was playing the X during the spring, actually. But uh, you know, we'll see if they end up moving him over to the Z because of his speed. But uh, I got Lamb, Weiss, Crawford at the at the X. Who's your what's your depth chart at the X behind Lamb? I have Jaqueline Crawford right behind C.D. Lamb. I think I think Crawford is going to be kind of like the fourth receiver. I think he's going to play a lot this year. He's he just looked explosive. He looked sharp in the spring game. He's ready to play major college football, and I think he can be a weapon for OU. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't think you know. I I think we're going to see a lot of pass catchers this year. I think the only guys we're going to see exclusively are C.D. Lamb and Grant Calcaterra. Everything else is is probably going to be hot hand. I would guess. So I know we have one more position group, and this is when they take the H back off the field and they go four wide, four wide receiver sets. They had this as a position in the spring game, so that's why we're going to do it here. Uh, I have you have you brought up Theo Weiss yet? Is he going to be your H guy, or, or or did I totally miss you bringing up Weiss? No, I have him. I have him um, at the X uh, at backing up CD Lamb. I have Jaqueline Crawford or Theo Weiss. Oh, okay, I, he's he's going to play. He's going to play. All right, so let's go to that X or that H receiver rather. And again, I mean, this is a receiver when they go four wide. Uh, I got Nick Basquin. He's he's back. He's healthy. He was playing in that spring game. Looked good. I'm gonna go Nick Basquin as their fourth wide receiver. Not sure how much he's actually gonna play, but uh, you know, since it's a position, every once in a while, Basquin's my guy there. Definitely seniority. Hopefully, he can stay healthy this year and, and contribute. Who do you have as your H? Lee, I have Basquin or Trajan Bridges. So this is one I, I could not decide on. Um, you know, I, I think we would all agree that Trajan Bridges is probably, you know, a more talented player than Nick Basquin. Basquin's made some good plays, you know, for the Sooners in his career. He's been a good player, just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um, I, think, I, I think this is probably going to be Trajan's job to win in the spring just because he, do, he just seems so polished. And I, I like polished guys who can get open, who can sit down, find holes in the zone, um, especially for that slot receiver uh, position. And that just kind of feels like Trajan Bridges from everything that I've seen from him, especially in the spring game. Um, I think that's where he's going to do a lot of his damage. But, of course, I could be wrong. We'll see. This is, this is why it's so tough. I mean, they have... They have so many good pass catchers uh, that they're not really going to go wrong putting anybody out there. My backup to Basquin is Michael Jones. Remember him? Michael Jones. Yeah, I was going to say, remember him? The guy had, in Baker Mayfield's Heisman Trophy season, the guy had like 500 yards and four touchdowns or whatever. And I, I don't even know if he's going to get on the field this year. Insane. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I got Basquin and Jones. Uh, Grant, a couple names we did not mention. Uh, one is not that surprising. Drake Stoops. I mean, he's a walk-on. I, you know, With all this talent, he's been even, even further buried on the depth chart. But uh, other than that, though, a scholarship guy who is back with the team, A.D. Miller. Uh, I mean, is he another guy that's just going to be like, good luck getting on the field, man? Because, I mean, there's so much talent on this team. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen with AD at all. Um, I'm glad he came back. I mean, it's 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 a good thing that that he came back. Uh, he'll finish up his degree and whatnot, and it, it doesn't. It never hurts to have depth. I mean, the guy the guy has caught touchdown passes in, in college football. He's made some plays. Um, yeah, caught, caught a touchdown guy, or two the, last year from Kyler Murray. So, I mean, yep. He's just he's just very very deep depth. If that makes sense. <laughs> all right, so we're done with the offense. Let's each go over just our our starters just boom 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 uh I'll start so I got Hertz at quarterback Sermon slash Brooks at running back because I mean we know those guys are gonna play a lot and then you can say the same thing for Braden Willis and Jeremiah Hall in the skill yeah. position there yeah back, sure. back so those that's that um on the line I got left to right Swinson Hayes Humphrey Robinson Ely and then receivers, X, Y, Z. I'll start with the X. Lamb, Y, Calcaterra, Z, Bridges. And my fourth receiver is Nick Basquin. Grant, your starters. Well, it was exactly the same as yours until we got to the Z receiver. And mine is Charleston Rambo. And that's it. That's the only way, that's the only uh, part that we differ. Um, except <laughs> I... I, I <laughs> I do think I, I do think that Trajan Bridges has a really good chance of of being that starting H receiver. Okay, yeah, I suppose our our starters are the same. I just looked over because I've been writing them down, and yeah, well, you know, the offense was the the part where it's not that difficult. The line was kind of you know question marks, and then a little bit of the receivers because there's so much talent there. But for the most part, pretty steady on the offensive side of the football. We've got our defense depth chart prediction coming up here in a moment. Before we get to that, though. I want to ask you all listening out there to reach out. Give us your depth chart predictions. If you want, you can do all 22 spots. That's quite a bit. You know, you know, or maybe you know, maybe the most up for grabs positions that, that you deemed uh, to be out there. If you don't agree with something that we said, let us know. You know. Maybe we're missing something here. Maybe we're missing a guy. Maybe we're putting a guy in the wrong spot here and there. You can email us, westofeverest at gmail.com. You can post to the West of Everest Facebook page. If you just go to Facebook and search West of Everest, you'll find us. You can tweet Grant and I. I am at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. And I know it's been a while since our last show, but if you're still enjoying the show and somewhat new to the show and you want to give us a rating and or review on iTunes, just lift up your podcast player and click the five-star ratings. That'd be awesome. Or leave a review. That would be cool, too. Uh, it's another summer of OU Football Talk, and hopefully we can – get you through it as good as possible all right let's go to the defense a lot of interesting stuff on the defensive side of the football a lot more debate here i would guess and you know again this is one of those things where it's educated guesses uh grant and i were not texting calvin thibodeau every other week or you know i i don't have brian odom on speed dial or you know ruffin mcneil i i just i don't have that kind of connection with the program i wish i did Oh, uh, Ruffin McNeil doesn't do anything. He wouldn't be able to tell us. Uh, I mean, yeah. yeah, I think he would. I think he'd have. I mean, I think he knows. He's there. He's a coach <laughs> still. Uh, so this is all just educated guesses based on the talent we've seen, what we've seen in the past, what we saw in the spring, what the coaches have said. And 
we have a brand new defensive coordinator in Alex Grinch, and he's been pretty critical of the defense so far. So a lot of this could be way off base. A couple of these are going to be easy, I think. So with that, with that qualification to start out, let's begin, Grant. We'll start with the defensive end. And just to set this up, there's four defensive line positions. I guess you could say three and like a hybrid because whatever you want to call the rush linebacker, I suppose it's a linebacker, but that guy's going to end up playing probably on the line a decent amount too in this defense. So we're going to have a defensive end, a nose tackle, a defensive tackle, and a rush linebacker here for our four first spots, starting with the defensive end. Let's see. I'll go first, Grant. And I think this might be one of the easier ones. Defensive end, Ronnie Perkins, I think, is going to start. He was a defensive end last year. He was a defensive end in the spring game. I think the arrows kind of point to him to be the starting defensive end for Alex Grinch. Last year, led the team in sacks. He had five. He had eight tackles for loss. Did all that, obviously, as a true freshman. And, I mean, I think this is a guy that looked ready to play immediately all the way back to the 2018 spring game. And I think he proved that last fall. So I think Ronnie Perkins is going to be the starting defensive end. And I think he's one of the more exciting players on this Oklahoma defense, Grant. Who is your starter at defensive end? Yeah, don't even need to speculate. Uh, just go ahead and write Ronnie Perkins in and, and, and uh, permanent ink. That's what's going to happen. The guy's the second best player on the defense right now that we know of. Um, so, yes, absolutely Ronnie Perkins. Um, Lee... I, I just I want to say this before we just get too deep into the, the defense here. This was hard. I, I really struggled to to kind of to figure a lot of this stuff out because we there's just so much unknown. There were so many injuries during the spring, and I think you know anybody throws out their guesses for the defensive depth chart, you got a really good chance of being right. I think there's I, I think there's 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 like maybe four positions that we can absolutely say are in stone and that's we'll, we'll get to them but i this was difficult I'd, I'd especially once we get to the second say five positions yeah. that are probably set in stone right now sure and i just i i want to i want to preface because we're talking about the, the defensive line i do have my two deep here and i think that the six guys that I, I'm gonna. We're gonna talk about here. I think these are gonna be the six defensive linemen that you see almost exclusively the entire season. Um, depending, you know, and they might move around on the line a lot too, depending on what Grinch wants to do. But um, with that in mind, we we can continue on. Do you want to do the nose tackle? Well, let's go too deep. I mean, do you want to go all starters and then go back with the backups? Because I think that, that let's just do too deep. Let's just yeah, do too yeah, deep. If, if we're gonna, because I think these six guys are are absolutely the top six guys and no one is really behind them at all unless some freshmen come up and and surprise us all right well i'll let you then who's your number two defensive end backing up ronnie perkins kenneth mann um i think this is better suited for him coming off the bench he was much much more effective as a pass rusher uh, as a situational pass rusher in 2017 um, i think this is definitely going to be more of his role he'll he's going to come in and he'll probably replace the nose tackle, I would I would guess, on obvious passing situations, and he'll come in to rush the passer. Um, I think this is good. Uh, he's he is much much better as a spot player and not a full time starter. I also have Kenneth Mann as the backup as well, and I think you made a good point because he was in 2017 when Obo left. After Obo, I believe Kenneth Mann and uh, DJ Ward tied in sacks. So D uh, Kenneth Mann was. Uh, the the leading returning sacker in 2018 and last year I believe he only had one sack and he started all year 
Uh, you know, he had five again in 2017. You know, I, I know you're not the, you know, you were kind of down on him last year. I thought he was just kind of there. I thought he just kind of, he, he wasn't good. He wasn't bad. He was just kind of there. And uh, I do like the idea of him being more I, of a spot player now in, in 2019. I think, I think that is the perfect way to describe Kenneth Mann's season is that he was just there. Like you, you hit that right on the head. Yeah. I mean, the only, you know, the big, biggest play of his season was that interception against army and that was off a tip pass and he made that play and you know outside of that not a whole lot stands out positively or honestly negatively from Kenneth Mann so I agree I think he'll be the the backup defensive end in 2019 under Alex Grinch so that moves us over to the nose tackle position in the Alex Grinch defense and I think this is one uh next to the defensive end I think this is one of those five positions that's set in stone and uh this is gonna be Neville Gallimore's spot at nose what about you? Uh, no, I totally disagree. I no. Well, Neville Gallimore, that's, that's, what, that's what he played in the spring. In the spring, he was the nose. I, I don't think he's. Yeah, I don't think he's going to play that position. I I don't. I really don't. Um, so why would he play it? In the, so that's the thing. I mean, it's, this, they had him at nose in the spring game. So I don't know why they all of a sudden would move him to tackle for the. Yeah, I. I, I just I just kind of I, I don't think of a nose tackle as a guy who what he sh- he shed thirty pounds and he's like three hundred pounds now. Dylan Famatau is like three thirty. He's gonna be the nose. So Dylan Famatau is your nose tackle, and let the games begin. Yeah, that's here. I mean, yeah the the nose tackles are, are exclusively all season going to be Famatau and Marquise Overton. All right, well that those guys didn't play that position in the spring game, so you're you're saying they're gonna they, they were just kind of. They were just testing them out there in the spring. They're, it's not really, uh, you know, where they're going to be. There's, hey, let's just play this, see what you guys can do. But, but in in the fall, we're gonna we're gonna yeah, switch. I'm sure, they, I'm sure they had to throw some stuff together. I I envision Neville Gallimore playing that Hercules Mataafa position, that defensive tackle right. position. Well, here's the thing about that defensive tackle position that Mataafa played. He was, you know, and we've discussed this at length on the podcast, you know, months and months ago or a couple, you know, weeks ago. You know, Neville Gallimore is not built like Mataafa. You know, I mean, Mataafa was a, a 6'2", 250, and uh, that's not Neville Gallimore. So I don't know, maybe maybe that's the kind of size of player that Alex Grinch likes in that defensive tackle role. I mean, I may be wrong, but I just, I I, I think that's that's where Gallimore is suited best. Okay. Um, but like I said, I mean, there's there's going to be six guys on the defensive line, and they're going to they're gonna be shifting around a lot. They're going to be going into different gaps. You know, sure. the the lines here are going to be blurred a lot of the time, except for except for Ronnie Perkins is always going to be on the outside. So, yeah, I think that, I mean, again, even wherever it's if it's nose tackle or defensive tackle, Gallimore is going to be a starter. That's obvious. So, I mean, that's that's why it's like in cement. You know, I, Grinch told me in spring ball that he thinks Gallimore has a chance to not just be one of the best defensive linemen in the Big 12, but also one of the best in the nation. So, you know, we both are the same. We can't wait to see how Gallimore plays in this defense, you know, backing him up. At nose, I've got Marquez Overton. And Overton, he's been a steady depth guy for Oklahoma during his career. And I think, once again, he'll have a solid depth role behind Gallimore here at, at the nose. So uh, who was your – was Overton your backup to Famitau? Yeah, and I actually had – I actually did put an or here. I, I think Famitau and Overton, I think, are going to be kind of interchangeable this year. Uh, Famitau is you – know, 
obviously you love a guy who is who has started as many games as he has or has played as many games as he had. You know, he has. You know, he's he's been a constant. Uh, you know, for, not a force, but he's been a constant presence on this defense for the last two seasons. Um, he's never really impressed me that much. He's just kind of like Kenneth Mann. He's always just been kind of there. Um, whereas with Marquise Overton, I the guy the guy, the guy can at least stop the run. He's good at that, and uh, he's got a wrestling background. I think he is. He may hit, he may be a sneaky good fit in Alex Grinch's defense. So the next position is a defensive tackle spot, and you've made it clear. So that's where you want Gallimore. So you got Gallimore there at defensive tackle. Uh, in the spring game, at position defensive tackle, there was two guys, two starters, obviously, because there's two teams. It was Fama Ta'u. He was playing that defensive tackle position. And also the Juco transfer, Laurent Stokes. And so for me, based off of the evidence we have at hand, I guess this is going to be kind of my first hot take of the defense. I'm going to say that Laurent Stokes is your starting defensive tackle next to Neville Gallimore and you know, how about that and you, you go with I, I know I know and I know I'm again I'm kind of going away from my seniority rules out thing because based on seniority I should have Fama Ta'u here but he's been a career backup at Oklahoma and for the purposes of this exercise I think I needed at least one big time flyer in the starting lineup because it's just this is for fun and I'm going to go with Stokes he's gotten a lot of a lot of pub it seems like this spring I don't really recall seeing him do a whole lot, but you know, I maybe for at least a minute, I'm going to buy into it. He was playing next to Gallimore in the spring game, so those guys were were there in that game on the same team. You know, the question is, was Grinch putting his top two interior linemen on the same team at the moment? I mean, maybe. And to my point earlier about Mata Afa and this role. Maybe Grinch, you know, in his defense, Mata Afa, like I said, he was an undersized interior defensive lineman. He was 6'2", 250. You got Stokes, who's listed at 6'4", 256. So, you know, he's not a big, beefy guy in there, but I don't know. Maybe he can move. Maybe he can be quick, kind of like Gallimore, but at a, at a much lower weight. So my uh, my first, I guess, hot take type starter is going to be Laurent Stokes, and then I got Fama Tahu backing him up. Yeah, Laurent Stokes is is the guy I have there, too. At defensive tackle. So, like, I, when I say this, I really do think these are your six defensive linemen. Pray there's no injuries. And that's the thing. I wanted to, to pause at this point, and we've kind of gone over a little bit when we were talking about Michael Thompson, but, man, look at the defensive lineman depth. Again, lots gone. Jordan Kelly's probably out. So you got, yeah, Gallimore, Famatahu, Stokes, Kenneth Mann, Perkins and you got Isaiah Thomas as a backup defensive end really there's only three defensive end right now that I can tell on the roster and then backup interior defensive lineman you got Troy James Zacchaeus McKinney and then I guess and Marquez Overton who's part of your six so I mean that's one two three four five that's I mean that's nine total healthy defensive linemen and I know they have some some true freshmen coming in in the summertime but the depth there with those with Lawton Kelly gone, I mean that that's uh, that's not great. I don't. I, we were kind of excited about the defensive line depth. I know that Grinch. It seemed like, and maybe and Riley had talked about it a little bit in the spring, but not as good as it once was. Well, sure. I mean, it would be looking a lot better if 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 Kelly didn't get hurt and if Tyrese Lott didn't leave the team. And so, just just to talk about the the guys coming in on the defensive line. Um, they've already lost one member of their of their recruiting class, Derek Green. I think he left and went to Vanderbilt. I think is is what he did. 
Um, Corey Roberson, he's a defensive end from Manville, Texas, coming in. He's 6'4", 265. So you got to think that, you know, if that's that's his size in high school, he's probably a guy who is going to play on the interior of the defensive line, I would guess. Um, Joseph Wete, he's a guy I'm pretty excited about. His his tape is really good, and he just looks like really long and athletic, but he's going to be a defensive end. Um, a guy maybe who could provide a bit of, of depth on the inside, maybe that, at that defensive tackle position, is Marcus Hicks. He's 6'6", 255. I mean, that's big. That guy's huge. Um, yeah. And, but still. I mean, a, a, Marcus a true... Stripling, too, is 6'2", 6'3", 260. Sure, yeah. In. And, you know, absolutely. And, and you know, the thing that kind of worries me about those two guys, the two Marcuses, is one, Marcus Hicks is, is coming from Wichita, Kansas, playing. That's, that's, that's pretty poor high school football. Um, and then Marcus Stripling, he's from Houston, which is great high school football, but he played on a bad team in high school. Um, mm. So that, that, that kind of worries me a little bit. Um, I know, you know, Corey Roberson is a guy who I, I think he tore his ACL before his senior year started. Uh, but he was a guy who was starting to pick up steam. I know he was starting to get offers from all the big time schools like Alabama and Clemson and whatnot. So it's possible that he could be a, a project of some sort. Um, but you know, they, they brought in, they, they recruited six defensive linemen in this in this recruiting class. One of them already left, so they got five guys coming in. Uh, but still, I don't think you can ever ever count on on true freshmen coming in and, and being effective like that. And if you do, if you are counting on that, you're in trouble. On um, Marcus Hicks, and I share your your critical feelings on Wichita high school football. And just to give you all as a background, we've talked about Wichita a little bit on this podcast, I think. But I mean, Grant and I, we have family in Wichita. We've spent a lot of a lot of our years in Wichita so like we you know our cousin coaches in Wichita so like we know a little bit about Wichita high school football and I, I mean I played baseball in college in Kansas and a lot of the guys I knew played football in high school and I've you know I, they would play some of their tape and it's I mean granted that was oh man I date my I mean that was 10 plus years ago maybe it's gotten better let's put it this way though hopefully uh Marcus Hicks out of Wichita is similar to getting Ben Powers out of Wichita and he's that good of a player as opposed to, well, he had his moments, but I mean, Blake Bell was essentially just a big old. He wasn't really oh, Blake a quarterback. Blake Bell was was great. Blake Bell was great. He wasn't really a quarterback. He was more of like a, a big big old tight end that carried the football from here. We'll we'll always have that that bedlam comeback, the, that final drive that he led. That was that was legendary. And also, the guy's getting an NFL paycheck as a tight end still. Exactly. Yeah, he's. He's, maybe he was playing out of position at Oklahoma. Blake, uh, Blake Bell was a was a really good college football player. He just didn't, he didn't really have a position, but he's a really good football player. Those are those years of Oklahoma football that I that I uh, the, the lost years for me, where I I, yeah, I just wasn't I wasn't as, as dialed in as much. I was back whenever uh, was he there? Was he there in fourteen? No, he wasn't there in fourteen, was he? That was uh, Trevor Knight. Um, yeah, 2013 was his uh, was his year. senior year. Okay, yeah. had they uh, transitioned to the? Wait, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Uh, Bell was there 2014. He was a tight end that season. Okay, so I just I just think about the 2014 as the year where they just they just ran the ball like 80 percent of the time, and Samaj P. Ryan got you know that record against Kansas, and it's like, man, what and is when this? they did. And when they did throw it, it was exclusively to Sterling Shepard, oh, and then okay. he got hurt. And then he got like hurt at the end of the year, and then their passing game just fell apart. Well, listen out there if you're from Wichita or have you know ties to Wichita and you think that we're totally off base on this, let us know. Go ahead and give us some crap for it. But uh, hopefully, um, it's uh, you know it's one of those good Wichita recruits. 
I, you know, I just I feel comfortable because I just I know so many people from Wichita and sorry guy. I mean, granted, like Minnesota high school football is not great either. We're from Minnesota. Come on. I mean, there's you're not going to get any big time recruits out of Minnesota either. So it's not like we have much to stand on. Yeah, I will admit it's not great. I mean, the best players out of Minnesota are going to go to maybe Minnesota and then like North Dakota State, maybe Iowa every once in a while. So uh, anyways, let's get onto the rush linebacker spot. And I'll start in a perfect world, Grant. I think this is Jalen Redman starting here, but I still have a feeling that he's not going to be able to play. And I just, I just a feeling, no inside info, just a gut feeling. So because of that, I think this is kind of a difficult position because I think you and I, we had a whole podcast on this or a big chunk of a podcast on how we thought Caleb Kelly was perfect for Alex Grinch's rush linebacker. Yet, even whenever Caleb Kelly was briefly healthy in the spring, he wasn't playing there. He was playing at the will spot. So it would seem that Grinch you know, didn't think Kelly was the right guy for this spot. In the spring game, it was Mark Jackson on one team, and it was John Michael Terry on the other team. And Jackson has contributed much more than John Michael Terry so far in their careers. Therefore, I'm going to go with Mark Jackson as the starter at the rush linebacker spot. He had seven tackles for loss, three sacks a season ago. It's going to be his senior year. So, I mean, I think Mark Jackson, he's gotten a lot of snaps, played a lot of games. He could be an important senior leader on this team. I'm going to pencil him in right now as the starter at rush linebacker, but this is a tough one. What do you think? Well, I do have Jalen Redmond. I think he's going to play. Um, I don't think they would just blow smoke with us saying that he's he's on track. And, you know, I, I feel like if he if he really wasn't looking good, they wouldn't say anything about him. Um but I, I, I agree with you that if it is, you know, if Jalen Redman is, is still having issues with blood clots and whatnot, I do agree it's very likely going to be Mark Jackson Jr. there. Um, but I did actually put an or there as well. I think Nick Benito is a guy who could seriously threaten for that role. He was by far the most impressive of, of the rush linebackers in the spring game. Just, just looked like a different athlete than the other guys. All right, and I have Benito as my backup to Jackson. And um, to my notes real quick on Benito, uh, you know, he backed up Jackson in the spring game. Um, and it's just, you know, I could go with John Michael Terry. It's just he hasn't been able to find a role on this defense in his time at Oklahoma. So I, at this time, I can't trust him to find a, a role right now. And so, you know, I kind of share your thoughts on Benito. He's supposed to be pretty talented. I mean, he's a long, lanky player. And, I like that, but at the same time, I'm not sure if those attributes are things that Grinch wants out of his rush linebacker spot because he's like a tall, lanky glass of water. I mean, he's not all that heavy. Um, and a big reason why I think we both like Caleb Kelly there is because he's you know six three, you know two forty, this guy that can that can play and you know take on the offensive linemen if he needs to. And I don't know if Benito can do that. You know, I guess maybe he can rush around them and be quick and get by him that way. But um, that's what the long arms are for. Yeah, that's what they're for. So, and I mean, maybe. Maybe John Michael Terry seems to fit more size-wise, but you know, is he fast enough? I know it's about the speed D. So based on that, I'm going to go uh, Mark Jackson starting and uh, Benito as the backup. For you, you got Redmond or Benito. Yeah, and you know, well, no, I I have Redmond uh, with with Mark Jackson Jr. backing him up or Benito. Oh, so you. I mean, I think it's going to be if Redmond's a no go, it's going to be a it's going to be a Jackson versus Benito battle. Um. Hey, remember this would be this would be Addison Gums' spot if he wouldn't have transferred. Do you remember him? Yeah, man, transferred um, what like the, the 
the, like the day after we we heard he tore his ACL. I think yeah, I think it was the day uh, yeah, like the day before the FAU game, the, the day before week one. I think it was like the Friday before they played FAU. I think he was gone. And, um, and so, and also too, uh, I want to uh, want to push back on a little bit what you said about the size of Nick Benito and and whether or not that's kind of what Alex Grinch is is looking at. I know we don't we don't really dip into recruiting a lot in this uh, in this show, but if you just kind of follow recruiting a little bit, guys that they're they're sort of going after on the defensive line, they're going after dudes who are six four, six five. They want trees on the defensive line. Um, and so Benito, I think fits well within that six, three, he's got really long arms. He's exactly what Grinch wants at that position in terms of body type. I'm actually, you know, I'm not going to say exactly the, the absolute perfect body type for that position is Jalen Redmond, a guy who is the size of a defensive end, but moves like a linebacker. Um, Jalen Redmond is, is who they want there. So I just fingers crossed that the guy's healthy because I I, I think Jalen Redmond can be a guy who can literally turn around the fortunes of Oklahoma defense. <laughs> I think he could. I think he's that gifted. Oh, I think the rush linebacker spot and the nickel position are two of the more like hybrid positions in this defense, like where you're going to be asked to do different things. Where like the rush linebacker, you're going to be asked to play on, up on the defensive line at times, and also back as a linebacker. Whereas the nickel, you're going to be asked to play in the box as a linebacker a lot, and also in the secondary as well. So it's just it's a very important position. It's one of the most important positions. Both those positions are probably the two most important positions in Grinch's defense. Uh, and then obviously throw in Gallimore in the in the middle there. I mean they need they need, need good players on the interior line too. So uh, yeah, very important. I hope Redmond's there. I hope he plays because he's incredibly talented. Next up, we got the linebackers. Grant, aside from the this rush linebacker, quick. yeah, it'll be quick. We got middle linebacker. It's going to be Kenneth Murray. He's he's penciled in. It's going to be Kenneth Murray. Let me get to my notes real quick because I got a spiel on him. Uh, it's going to be year three. You know, Murray, again, as always, he's going to have a massive chip on his shoulder. And uh, one of the questions, though, is that will it matter? Will that matter at all? Uh, he's built like the perfect linebacker. But, man, he's just – we've talked about Kenneth Murray a bunch on this podcast He's just been incredibly inconsistent through his first two years on campus, and he's a player that has not necessarily been a difference maker. And really good defenses have to have difference makers in the middle of the defense. And I saw this quote. I was just kind of going back through some old quotes, getting ready for this podcast from spring practice, and it's from Brian Odom, the new inside linebackers coach, talking about Kenneth Murray. He said, quote, We've got to get him always being where he needs to be and in a timely fashion and being able to pull the trigger. And that's my job, to take away gray area for him and his consistency to make plays is going to be paramount moving forward. He's made his fair share of plays through spring and his whole career here, but the charge with Kenneth is make the routine plays that he needs to make, and he's very capable of doing it. End quote. Mike Linebackers going into their third year, just should not be having problems with routine plays. Yeah, I mean, you're going to miss one or two here or there during the course of a game. We're all human, of course. But the fact that making the routine plays was something that Brian Odom just brought up and it was in his head during the spring, I think is it's pretty telling. So that's my spiel on Kenneth Murray right now. Grant, I know you got him as your starting linebacker as well. Do you have anything that you want to add about Murray? Not really, except it's just put up or shut up time. All not right. not that he like not that he talks a lot or anything. he's a pretty humble guy, but you know I mean, he talks it's, it's, whenever it's, 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 he talks whenever we ask him questions, and well he talks yes. smack to Jalen Hurts in the Orange Bowl apparently that that was a whole narrative during the spring, 
that they're all cool now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Brian Mead's going to back him up. You agree, right? Yeah. Yeah. I got Brian Mead just, I mean, he backed up all last year. I'll just, I'll pinch it. I will pencil in Mead uh, with uh, true freshman Jonathan Perkins kind of waiting in the wings right there. You know, who knows? But true freshman again, he's very inexperienced. Uh, the Will linebacker Grant, the starter is. Oh, Deshaun White. Yep. And, I mean, we knew that now that with Caleb Kelly out, out of the picture, it's, I mean, this is Deshaun White's position to lose. And um, Oh, he well, he's, he's not going to lose. It's his position. I think he... He's 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 most certainly the starting weak side linebacker. This is that's that's this is one of the the layups, one of the easier ones. Yeah. Um. And th- this is a good thing. I mean, this is uh. I I think from all the evidence that we have, I you know he, he he's he may be the best linebacker on the team, and so um he to me in the spring game he certainly did look like the best linebacker on the team. Certainly the most instinctive. So um, we'll see. I don't know. I'm excited to watch him play. Who's backing up White? I, I have an or, uh, Brian Asamoa or Levi Draper. All right. I just have Asamoa there in his uh, very nice, well-worn uniform that we saw in the spring game. Yeah, yeah. He looks he, – he wears a uniform very, very nicely. He must have um, watched a lot of tape on Kenneth Murray before that, yeah. that spring game, yeah, watching and how I think, to wear a uniform. You know, and, of course, if you're going by seniority and just logic, I think that would dictate you put Levi Draper there, but – like I said, I, I, you know, he just really has the feeling of a guy. I don't think he's he's ever going to put it together at OU. Um, just a lot of hype for for not a lot of production so far, or any at all. And then I, I think really the only interesting thing, maybe further about weak side linebackers, where Ryan Jones comes into play. Yeah. Because uh, he's a he, he's a guy who I mean he's a he's a great athlete, and uh, I think I think he's a guy you want his athleticism on the field. But if he doesn't have a position, that obviously makes it a a little more difficult. So. Um, Curious to see how, how Ryan Jones uh, plays into all of that. You know, he, he most certainly did not play very well last season when given the opportunity. I mean, he played in a lot of games. He made three starts, played in 11, had 20 tackles. I mean, I mean he was starting for them at the start of the, at the beginning of the year. So, player mm-hmm. that kind of fell out of favor. Or just, it just I don't know if he got beaten out or what. Or maybe he was banged up. And we, I don't know. So, um, so, that's the linebacker core. We got the secondary remaining. We got the, the four traditional secondary spots plus the nickel position in the Alice Grinch defense so let's start with the the two the two slam dunks and the only question is who's going to play where and that's the two cornerback spots Grant um let's see I got a whole spiel on this wait you think the two corners are slam dunks I think one is definitely a slam dunk I wouldn't say the other is oh okay well uh well, I mean, let's just say it the, the the obvious slam dunk is Trey Brown um but you think I it's absolutely a competition, I think, at the other corner. Oh, I mean, I think Trey Brown and Parnell Motley are both. Yeah, I have them as the starters St- too. But are, do you, do you really? Yeah, but do you really think that Trey Norwood is not gonna Trey Norwood say and Trey Norwood's not a corner anymore? They're, he's a he's gonna play safety. Like are like for sure? You know that for sure? They've said that he has moved away from corner. Uh, I mean, he was playing safety in spring, and I mean, granted, he would move around a lot, but. He's one of the best 11. He's one of the best defensive backs, and he's more uh, flexible than those other two players, probably, because he proved it last year. So I yeah, I, I know we're gonna see we're gonna see a lot of Norwood. I'm not saying he's just gonna be sitting on the bench all year. He's he's gonna be like the fifth or sixth defensive back for sure. But you know, I yeah, I I don't think that it's that it's a it's a foregone conclusion that Norwood is 
is moved to safety or nickelback or whatever, I think he, they can always safely move him over to corner if they need to. Um, I, I agree that that's going to be Brown and Motley, but I, I wouldn't. I don't say. I don't think it's a slam dunk. This is where this is where it gets hard. Okay. Well, I. I mean, I I think it's I I mean I don't I don't anticipate Trey uh, Trey Norwood playing corner anymore. I think he's safely going to play one of the safety positions, and uh, you know, to me, I so I mean, I'll I guess I'll start with the corners. I mean, the the question to me is just who's going to play left corner, who's going to play right corner, and I mean, I they both played the left side in the spring game, so I mean, in fall camp they'll figure it out. I think you know, typically you put your best corner at the left corner spot, and uh, you know, I'm I'm not quite sure who's better right now between those two players, but I'll just kind of lean towards Trey Brown at the left corner spot. And so that means that obviously at the right corner spot, I'm going to go Motley. So uh, for you, I mean, you said you have them both there. Where did, did, do you care? I mean, do you have Brown at the left corner too, or do you have Motley at the left corner? Yes, I do. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, to me, this was easy. I mean, there's some, more, some debate to you. So let's, let's go with our, our two deep though with it. Oh, did I even do a two deep? Hold on. Let me see. Oh, yeah, I did. Okay, sorry. I just didn't make notes on it. Um, my uh, So this is kind of interesting. So I, kind of the same principle that you kind of had, I think, with the defensive or the offensive lineman where you have, like, you know, one player that could kind of be the utility guy. I have right now as backing up both uh, in the two deep, I got Woody Washington, kind of one of my hot take, like, you know, coming in, incoming freshman Woody Washington. Watched a little of his tape. Somewhat impressed. It's high school tape. So I'm taking a flyer on uh woody washington being the the third corner the backup corner because again i i, I think norwood is is going to play uh safety i guess i suppose if, if one of those corners brown or motley goes down and you they'll know, they almost they have, certainly go to norwood in that situation right as i say yeah they feel like their depth at safety is so good they can pencil in a safety yeah then they'd probably put Norwood there so um in that sense yeah it Norwood, yeah, Norwood will probably be, yeah, that's a good point. So like if, if it's not Brown or Motley, it'll probably be Norwood just moving over and then one of the other players moving into Philip Norwood's spot at whatever safety position Norwood plays. But uh, for the purposes of this exercise, just for fun, we're going to go, uh, for me, a true freshman who hasn't even got on campus yet, Woody Washington. Who is your, uh, who's your two deep with corners? Well, I already had Motley and Norwood at the, at the right corner, and so just I have I have Miguel Edwards actually backing up Trey Brown. Um, Miguel Edwards impressed me in the spring game. He he looks like he's ready to play some football. Um, yeah, I he's agree. aggressive. He's good. He's a good player. He he doesn't have any size whatsoever, but he is a bulldog out there. So he's going to compete, and I I think you know especially with Alex Grinch, you know he loves that. So I, th- I think we're gonna see we're gonna see some Miguel Edwards this year, al- almost certainly. Um, I-, I do like your Woody Washington pick. I think he absolutely can step in. Any of the freshman defensive backs are gonna have an opportunity to come in here and play a lot if they just if if, if they can come in and perform. Um, yep. And yeah, and Woody Washington of all the defensive backs, Lee, it was the the most sought after recruit as well. I think he's a he's a top fifty recruit, I believe, in the country. He was the number one player in Tennessee. Uh, so yeah, he, he's a guy who, you know, pretty big guy too. He's six foot, 175 pounds. Um, he's a guy who, you know, I think we're probably going to see some of him this upcoming year, along with another freshman we'll, we'll talk about later down the line here. And I have Edwards as well, kind of behind Washington, just so he's my third corner as well. I, I, I agree with you. He, he was impressive in that spring game. Let's move on to the strong safety and I'll let you start with this. So who's your starting strong safety? DTY baby, my guy. I think he's he's the one. So, um, 
yeah, we didn't really see him in the spring, but you know, we, we saw him get some run at the end of last season and um, we're basically going off of what Grinch said, saying that if he had to pick two starters at safety, it would, it would, you know, DTY would be one of them. So um, obviously because I was on him, you know, from day one, even like when he, you know, when, when his signature was, or the, the ink was still wet on the paper when he signed, I was all over Delarian Turner yell. Um, I'm excited to watch him play. I hope he, I hope he can kind of put it together because he certainly had some times uh, last season where he looked confused, but from everything we hear about him, he's a guy who's going to come up. He's going to, he's going to put the wood on you. And um, he's a guy who he's, he's an athletic guy. Go. He's got some of the best high school tape I have ever seen. So I got DTYs by starting strong safety as well. And just to kind of piggyback onto your points, he's got the speed that Grinch requires for this defense. He's got an intense downhill mentality that I think is suitable for safety that may need to act as a linebacker here and there on certain plays. But I said this before a long time ago, and I continue to have this same feeling that my main hesitation with DTY continues to be his ability to cover. I haven't seen enough evidence that he'll be able to make plays and coverage in the Big 12. His high school tape, you like it a lot, but when I watched it, to me it was basically him just coming downhill and tackling running backs a lot. Didn't see much of him covering the pass. Last year, didn't see much of him making plays in the secondary against the pass either in his time. So that still is my my main concern with him. And with more reps this season, more snaps, I'm sure he'll get, then we'll see if he can do that. And I hope he can. Who is your backup to DTY? This is where I kind of start going chalk, Lee, because this is this is where it gets hard. And so I have Chance Sylvie. Um, honestly, just by default, I, I I don't know enough about the incoming freshman to to be able to just pencil one in right here. I there's one guy I you know I, I really like. I'm going to have him at another position, but um, until we know more, I think it's it's going to be Sylvie, right? Well, uh, my backup to DTY is Patrick Fields. These guys were playing the same position in the spring game. And so even though Alex Grinch said that he would have those guys starting, for whatever reason, he had them at the same exact position in the spring game. I think Neither of them played both. in the spring game. And I know, well, they were on, I know they were on like that depth chart thing, but neither of them played a snap. I don't even think they were dressed. Okay, well, see that... So based on that, I mean, this is what I'm basing it off of. For whatever reason, they were on the depth charts. I don't know why they were on the depth chart then if they didn't play, which is stupid. But uh, I got Patrick Fields there. And, you know, if Chance Sylvie gets back to full health, I mean, this could be him. I mean, he could be the starter, and he could beat out DTY, for all we know. Um, so, and, and uh, Sylvie was playing in the spring game. And also, just for the record, Jamal Morris was uh, – was in the spring game as well, playing strong safety. So one of those true freshmen that was on campus early. Free safety. And, uh, you know, this is where I have Trey Norwood. And, I mean, he's, like I said, I mean, he's a guy that they got to get on the field. He's one of their best defensive backs. Uh, I say he starts at free. You know, he made the shift from the Big 12 title game for the Orange Bowl last season. I still think that Trey Norwood's the best coverage defensive back on the roster. And, I think it's pretty clear that he's the most versatile defensive back for Oklahoma, just based on what we have seen on the field the last couple of seasons. Uh, he didn't play in the spring game either. So, I mean, that's not great. We didn't see him. But as far as I know, I expect him to be perfectly fine and healthy for fall camp. And, again, I think he's one of Oklahoma's best 11 guys, definitely one of their best secondary players. So he'll be in there starting, and I say he'll be at free safety. What about you? So I, actually, I, I do have Patrick Fields at free safety. I think that's where he's going to start. 
Um, Alex Grinch said he was going to be the starter if, if they had to name one that day. I'm going to go off of that. And also, he played well in the Orange Bowl against Alabama. I, I thought he held his own pretty well. And this is this is more of me and just also just I don't even know if Robert Barnes is alive, to be honest with you. Um, that, 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 this has more to do with it than anything. Um, I, I think it's completely reasonable uh, for you to suggest that Trey Norwood may be the starting free safety. I wouldn't be surprised in the least bit, Lee, if we start to see a lot of three safety looks like what Iowa State does and Trey Norwood is that third safety. I would not be surprised if we see that a lot. Um, I, I'll, I'll just give away. I don't have Trey Norwood as a starter at any of his positions. It's not because I don't think it's not because I think Trey Norwood's going to just waste away on the bench all season long. I think they're going to be doing some interesting things with Trey Norwood. Um, most of I, I think he's going to be a third safety. Hmm. Okay. Well, who's your backup free? Uh, Robert Barnes or Justin Broyles. Oh. Okay. Yeah, my backup to Norwood is Broyles. Uh, Broyles is he'll be back. He'll be healthy. He had the interception in the spring game, uh, but not much else to say about yeah about just Justin Broyles. Barnes or Broyles. You know, I, I, I just don't really know what to expect with Barnes. The more I think about it, Lee, and I know you like Barnes at other positions, but um, I, I don't. The more I think about it, I don't. I don't know how he fits in this defense. He's he's kind of stiff, and he doesn't. He, Sometimes doesn't look like he's moving that well. I know he, he did play pretty well down the stretch last year, but um, I don't know. I, I sort of get the feeling he's kind of getting lost in the shuffle here a little bit. Yeah, it didn't help that he had hadn't played. He was out all spring. I mean, yeah. uh, Josh Al Jacobs comes killed in him. And- Josh Jacobs knocked him out. <laughs> he's dead. He was dead. Uh, <laughs> Robert Barnes is is deceased on the Orange Bowl turf. Um, yeah, that was. Boy, that's tough. That's tough. He's going to have to bounce back from that one. All right, Grant, we have one position left to go, the nickel position. And, I mean, I think this is a default one, right? I mean, we until we know any further, for me, it's Buki. I mean, Give me Buki, that- baby. Let's do it. I'll, I'm going to jump on the hype train again. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, man, I mean, we all know this guy's story. He underachieved, for the most part, a season ago. Was benched in the two biggest games of the year. Man, I mean, he's got a lot to prove. We're all hoping that the new defensive regime, I mean, we were, all, we were all hoping they'd give him a look at corner, but that never transpired in the spring. I don't see it happening in the fall if it hasn't happened yet. I mean, Alex Grinch talked about how they wanted to make any sort of position changes as soon as possible, and I just I can't see it happening. So, I mean, he's there. He's a, he's a nickel. He's a safety, whatever they think he's best. I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm thrilled with the idea of him being the nickel in this defense because based on what we saw in the spring game, I know it's very vanilla, but, I mean, this is a position where they're going to ask that guy to play a lot of linebacker-type roles. I mean, like, he's going to be asked to be up in the box, make tackles, and I just I don't know if he's able to do that. So I think this is a total we'll-see situation for Buki in this defense. And all day long, I'd much rather have my nickel as a cover guy. Uh, I don't even have to think twice about it. Sure. Sure. And I mean, and that and I'll just stick with it. I mean, I had him starting before months ago, but now I'll just I'll have I'm going to stick with Robert Barnes. I think Robert Barnes, I got him as backing up Buki at nickel. Although, I mean, I think he's the perfect body type, perfect kind of player for a nickel in this defense, with the exception of we're not quite sure if he's able to cover, which he hasn't really been asked to cover because he's been like a free safety and strong safety 
But then again, all the different guys I think are perfect for certain positions in this Grinch defense. Grinch hasn't felt that way, apparently. You know, Caleb Kelly didn't think he was the rush linebacker player. You know, uh, I guess that's kind of the, the, the main one. Um, they had him at will. So, I mean, yeah, I, you, you might be right. Robert Barnes might be just lost in the shuffle. And, yeah, it certainly doesn't help that he's missed the entire spring. Who's your uh, backup to Buki? Uh, Trey Norwood. I think we'll see Trey there. Um, but like I said, I, I think we're going to see Trey Norwood in, in kind of a unique role. Uh, he, he's going to have a, a role on this defense. It's just going to be probably in a way that we're just we, we don't fully know yet. Um, so if I had to go beyond Trey Norwood, that's where I brought up the other freshman who I think probably I, I think this freshman has has the best chance to contribute right away. And that's Jeremiah Cridell. Um, he definitely has the size you're looking for at that nickelback position. 6'1", 185. Um, he's a guy who can cover. He's a sought after recruit. And, you know, we never know until he gets on campus and starts competing against other division one players. Um, but if you're looking for a type of guys that they've recruited, he's the one that you can point to right there. And he comes from, he comes from perhaps the best high school football program in the country. Matter day. Matter day. And he had the famous Twitter video of whenever he announced his commitment on like ESPN or ESPNU or something like that and then OU put it out I mean like Riley was and the rest of the guys just went nuts whenever he made the yeah they were fired up that was that was a cool yeah that was fun I talked to some people after that later on thinking that you know they were kind of skeptical they thought that might have been a fake video like a fake reaction I I said there's no way that was fake I mean that I don't think really I don't think Lincoln Riley is that good of an actor to be perfectly honest, I don't think he'd be I, able to. Yeah, that was not fake. Of course, these guys get fired up when they win a recruiting battle. Uh, yeah, these like, guys I mean, compete. I, yeah, I mean they didn't know. I mean he announced it on TV. So, um, yeah, I. So, anyways, I just thought that was interesting that somebody thought that was fake. But yeah, may, maybe there are some things that go into you know the social media and recruiting that maybe aren't fully real. But for that one, I, if, I think that so, was who totally cares? genuine. Who cares? Yeah, so, so. so who cares? Whatever. It's recruiting. All right. Let's quickly go over our starting 11. I'll begin starting with defensive end. Ronnie Perkins. I got Gallimore at the nose. I got Laron Stokes at defensive tackle and Mark Jackson at the rush linebacker spot. Grant, your first four. I have Ronnie Perkins, the interior uh, at, at defensive end, the interior defensive lineman as Dylan Famatau and Neville Gallimore, and the rush end is Jalen Redmond. That would be a pretty salty front four, in my opinion. It'd be a big front four and an athletic front four. Keep your just keep your fingers crossed on Jalen Redmond. I, I he he has the potential to to really unlock this defense. I think. Yeah, I I agree. I hope he is a guy that. That plays at middle linebacker and will linebacker. That's easy. Kenneth Murray and Deshaun White. We each have those two guys there. Uh, for me, though, we're going to go the five defensive backs. I have Trey Brown at left corner, Parnell Motley at right corner, DTY at strong safety, Trey Norwood at free safety, and Buki at the nickel position. Grant, your five. Uh, the two corners, Lee, are Trey Brown and Parnell Motley. The safeties are Patrick Fields and Delarian Turner Yell. The nickelback will be Buki Radley Hiles. And like I said, I think Trey Norwood is going to be a third safety, and we're going to see a lot of him. Okay. Well, that's it. That's our offense and defense predictions. I thought that was pretty substantive, I thought. 
That was good. Yeah, once we yeah once we got the defense, I thought that uh, that really started to pick up once we got to the defense, which which <laughs> I which I sort of which I sort of expected. Lee, a guy that we did not even mention on the defense that I just find interesting is Jordan Parker. Um, oh yeah, I was thinking about that earlier too, and I didn't I forgot. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I actually did. I have him as as third on the depth chart at strong safety behind DTY and Sylvie. Um, but Jordan Parker is another guy who do not be surprised at all if we see him grad transfer. That that it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if that happened with him. Yeah, he's the main, uh, I guess, defensive back that that's a guy that's had some playing time that we didn't mention. Another guy I, I can't remember. I think this guy missed the spring game. Starlin Baldwin he hasn't done anything really yet in this program I'm not I can't remember if he's injured or or what but uh I'm not so sure he's gonna factor in either no no he's gonna be a guy who is who is processed I'm sure all right well that's all the OU football talk for today we're gonna do Game of Thrones now probably not for too long I mean this podcast actually has already gone a little longer than I thought it would so it's this won't be that long so uh, if you're not interested in Game of Thrones or you haven't seen the show and you don't want to be spoiled on anything, just stop listening right now. Hope you enjoyed the latest edition of West of Everest. We'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. But if so, if you want to hear us talk Game of Thrones, we'll begin that right now. And before we jump in, I just think it's important, Grant, for you and I to, to somewhat set up kind of how we viewed the show since it began, I believe, in 2011. And I'll just kind of quickly start. I didn't see the show right away it didn't really interest me i saw the trailers and everyone was talking about it. i just uh, I'm, I'm not into it like I, i'm not the biggest like lord of the rings guy to me that's kind of what i thought it would be just like lord of the rings on tv and i just I, those movies are okay but i just wasn't that into it so i didn't really jump in and for some reason i i, I decided to watch it and uh, i kind of caught up and i i started watching live in season four uh, and it's, it's a great, it's a great show. I really enjoy the show. It's one of my favorite shows. Uh, and in going into the final season, season eight, I went back and I rewatched the entire first seven seasons in about six weeks leading up to the season eight premiere. And, and I wasn't even going to do that. And then I kind of heard, you know, somebody I work with Brett at uh, news nine, he mentioned that he was thinking about doing that. And, uh, it was like early March. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back and watch episode one, the first episode, and then you'll see if I want to keep going through. And I just boom, boom, boom. I just sped right through it. So anyways, going into the final season, I really felt like I had a pretty good idea of what the show was, was you know, from the beginning of the show. And then it was gonna, what it was trying to be for the final season of the show. I, it was, I'm very happy I went and caught back up to it. So that's just a quick little background, Grant. Uh, for you, what, uh, from your perspective, what's your background with the show? Well, everybody, Lee just, uh, he just described how he is a filthy casual in this regard. Um, geez, didn't even start watching it until season four. Jumped in when it became a cultural phenomenon. <laughs> Anywho, um, so I started watching. Um, I believe I watched the premiere episode um, about two weeks after the season one season finale. So I started watching it the summer after the first season aired. Um I, I sort of struggled to get into it at first just because of how dense it was. And what actually changed and uh, changed me in that regard, Lee, was I read the first book um, as well that summer. And then I, from there, I had a background. I knew exactly what was happening. I knew all the characters. And once that was the case, once I knew what was going on, I was completely hooked. And so for the last eight years, this, this show has been a legitimate large part of my life. I love this show. Everything about it, 
reading about it, theorizing about it. A lot of my friends also love it. We all get into it um, at the same time. And so um, you said that you went back and rewatched the first seven seasons. Um, I've, you know, I've seen pretty much every episode in the series a number of times. I had gone back and rewatched it numerous times before other seasons as well. Um, it, uh, up until Lee, uh, up until about two years ago, or, or maybe even this year, it was absolutely uh, in the running for my favorite show of all time. And in my opinion as well, um, through six seasons, had every right to lay claim as the best television show of all time. Okay. And by the way, give me crap for not watching until season four. You didn't start watching until season two, it sounds like. So don't. I, I, I just said I started watching literally two weeks after the season one so it's finale not like, aired. It, it's not like you watched the very first episode. So don't pretend like you're some. But, some yeah, but I didn't of, know that it. I, I honestly did not know it existed until like a few days before I watched it. Yeah. I was in college at the time. I was I was busy, you know partying and having fun in college yeah. i didn't yes. know yes of course i didn't have hbo <laughs> um yeah i think a lot of people probably now don't have hbo either they've probably canceled it after game of thrones ended uh, that's kind of like one of the cliches of oh when it ends i'm gonna get rid of my hbo but uh anyway so okay the season the series is over not just the season but the series is over and here's how i want to set this discussion up uh you just heard grant give his background through the first six seasons, you know, could be one of the best TV shows ever. Uh, talking to Grant outside the show, outside this podcast, he's not particularly happy with this final season, and uh, he thinks there's a lot of a lot a lot of problems with it. So, uh, Grant, uh, would that be fair? Is that just a, is that a quick overview of your thoughts of the final season? Uh, you kind of understated it actually oh. a little bit. Um, <laughs> understated it. <laughs> Yeah, and so I. This is I, when when you asked if if I wanted to go into this, I, I'm I'm a little I, I was a little hesitant kind of at first, just because one I'm I I am very critical of the last season, and I generally do not want to crap all over things other people like. Um, but having that been said, this was a show that I have I have spent uh, countless hours theorizing about, reading about. Um, really digging deep into and this is a show that I that I feel like I truly understand from from a visceral standpoint I, I really understand what they were trying to do um, I knew every single character their arcs their motivations everything um, and and obviously when you watch the show f- through that lens it's gonna be really really hard to watch it not through that lens and I feel like um, this last season especially, and I think now the seventh season in retrospect after the eighth season has happened, um, the show obviously changed a great deal, and it's, it's, yeah. it was not the same show anymore. And it was impossible for me to, to just kind of accept that and go along with it because the show had already taught me how to watch it over the course of six seasons, and it just radically changed. And that was a problem for me. And so we don't need to go too in-depth. Um, you know, I don't, I, this is a, this is a big hobby for me. I don't know if I've mentioned it. I used to, you know, I, I really like TV and movies for a long, for the longest time I wanted to go to film school. So this is stuff that I, that I like. It's not just something that I, you know, do to pass the time. This is a hobby for me. I really dig in deep with it. Um, of course there's some externalities to that. Um, it helps me, you know, when you do get that invested in a show and you, and you really like to, 
to really dig in deep with it. It can certainly help you enjoy the show a lot more than just casual viewers. But at the same time, you set yourself up for disappointment, like what has happened these last couple years. And so um, I think it's I, th- I think it's it's fair to just kind of lay the groundwork like that, whereas that's the perspective I'm coming from. So it's um, I don't know if I really want to go into, you know, tearing it down about how bad the writing was and, you know, <laughs> there's just there's a lot of there's a lot of you know uh, TV making theories and filmmaking theories that I would like to get into that I'm I'm not even going to bother with on here, um, so that's where I'm from and basically Lee this is going to be you talking and me telling you why you're wrong. Well, no, I think you're right. I mean, the show was different for six seasons and yeah, the last two seasons have been yeah a, a different type of show and for me the main criticism is I think you can simply boil this down to and honestly I thought season seven was fine I you know mainly because I knew there was another season after that so I think we're not gonna go as hard on season seven it should have gone more episodes both seasons it should have gone more episodes but mainly with the last season it's just they it was too fast it was rushed I think they got to where they wanted to go for a lot of the arcs and a lot of the the parts of the show it's just it just it was too fast um and I think season eight, this last season, I think was probably to me it was the second worst season of all of the the season. I think season two was the worst. I think season two was the worst season of Game of Thrones, uh, which I don't know. If oh God, I just I could not disagree, boy. I we're actually I'm actually rewatching season two currently with my wife, and the um, my gosh, the the difference in quality is just so insanely obvious and just hits you over the head i mean uh just the i mean they there's way too much stannis stannis one of the worst characters in the show he's so boring he comes in season two God, see this is everything with uh, see, Karth see, this is, and, and this, daenerys and karth and stuff was just uh is awful this is why i didn't really i didn't necessarily want to get in this with you uh season two is is pretty widely thought of as one of the worst seasons of the show so i don't i don't know why you would Oh, I know. I mean, I, I know it's widely considered to be, a lot of people, one of the worst seasons of the show, but we're talking in relative terms here. Season two of Game of Thrones is better than 99.9% of anything that's been put on TV. Well, I'm just, I mean, based off of, you know, relative to other seasons, just because of, it, it featured a lot of characters and, and just subplots that I just didn't find particularly and, interesting. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's fine on, on, you know, with that, but I season two compared with the season that just that just aired and just finished on Sunday night, um, it's offensive to me that you think that season eight is better than season two. Season eight, well, because season is, eight is one of a lot the, of a lot of people, you know, it included everybody, and it had the resolution of the show. So, you know, I, it 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 included everybody, just basically checking off boxes, and that yeah, was it. Yeah, completely forgetting what made the show good. Sure. sure yeah. Uh, okay. You know what? I, to make this simple, I just I wanted to break it down into what do you think worked for this final season and then what didn't work and the what didn't work category I think would probably take you a week to get through so you know I hopefully you just have like big picture things but I have a couple notes you know I got I got some bullet points for what worked and what didn't work and let's start with the positive you know what worked on this show and the number one thing I think worked for me in the last season and just the entire show was Arya's character arc I think Arya, everything with that was was great, and I think it was pretty clear the writers put a lot of thought into that, probably more than anybody else. I think she transformed into one of the best characters in the show. She spent a ton of time in Bravos, you know, in the middle seasons, learning to become a faceless man. 
that storyline kept dragging on and on and on, but I think the payoff ended up being worth it when she was the one who killed the Night King. And even in a, a weak, weak season of Game of Thrones, I think that moment of Arya killing the Night King to me was the most satisfying moment of the entire series. And I think the reason why it was so cool was because we spent all that time, you know, seven plus seasons growing her character into the assassin that she became. And, you know, if I would have not gone back and rewatched the series and, and seen it all again and got caught up before season eight, I just I don't think I would have had that that same appreciation for her killing the Night King. So I'm glad I did that. And I think the showrunners kind of paved the way for that moment for quite a long time. And then just another part of that episode, too, that that I'm glad I did the rewatch and then got familiar was just whenever Melisandre asked her, you know, what do you say to the God of Death? And she said, not today, which that goes all the way back to the very beginning of the show in season one with with Cereo Pharrell and her learning how to sword fight and every, everything like that. So uh, I think Arya's character arc was maybe the best thing that worked to me in the entire the final season and really maybe the entire show. So let's start with that. Your thoughts on, uh, on Aria and all that. I, I think it worked. Did you think it worked? No, it did not. Um, I don't, I, I don't have a problem with the idea of Aria killing the night King. I thought the execution was so woefully terrible. Um, so, so you're talking about how they built up to that, that point, And I just, I just could not disagree with that more um i understand where you're coming from about how they're building up to be an assassin or whatever and this is all um obviously that was all going to be culminating into one thing it doesn't bother me that she was the one who killed the night king um and that, that's why that's why it makes this season just like kind of difficult to to talk about just because i thought sort of the ideas that they had for everything in theory worked but the routes that they took to get there were so sloppy and so poorly written um, it felt very cheap to me. I, I, I don't, I don't hate the fact that Arya killed the Night King. The whole thing just felt incredibly cheap to me and it, it was not satisfying to me whatsoever. Um, because I thought just the disappointment of the, the resolution of the Night King storyline completely overshadowed any sort of satisfaction you could get from Arya killing him. And to me, while watching that episode in a vacuum, it just felt like a deus ex, a deus ex machina out of nowhere. It, it happened just because the writers wanted it to happen, not because it organically happened within the story. It made no sense where they were. It made no sense for Arya to kill the Night King where they were in that point in the story at all. Yeah, I just, I disagree. I mean, I think you can certainly have criti uh, criticisms of that whole storyline with the Night King and all that stuff about how it was just all of a sudden resolved like, like that. And then they barely didn't even really touch on it again. That's fine. Um, and you know, what was the point and you know, it, all of that just for him, his, you know, the King with Night King just to be killed and everybody disappears and just like that. Uh, but that's here, fine. But here's, here's the issue Lee is that this is, this is what the show was about. The show was about, all of these humans and all of these people fighting over this this throne that they don't realize is completely irrelevant because they're going to get wiped off the map by this threat up north that nobody can even fathom of how of how terrifying and and evil they are. Um, to build that up for seventy episodes up to that point, to resolve it in a a a kind of a ham fisted hour and twenty minute action movie. Uh, is really really bad writing. See, and, and for a show that for for a show that 
was built on for a show that frankly was the best written show I'd ever seen uh, for six seasons to just kind of sloppily end it like that. I thought was was writing malpractice. And that's fine. You're talking about the whole Night King, you know, the dead storyline. And that's, you know, part of what didn't work to you. But to me, just Arya as a character and leading up, I think that that's my point is like it worked for her and it made sense for her to have that happen. Everything outside of it, though, with the larger landscape of the story, that's fine. Yeah, you can criticize that. I, I'm kind of I'm with you. I think that that that's weird. I just think in terms of and that's for me. I mean, and you're the same way. I mean, we like these shows because of the characters. I just I really enjoyed the way they built her character up to get to that moment. And I mean, I bought it. I, you know, people were like, oh, how could she sneak by all these whites? And I, I just I bought it. I mean, that's what she does. She sneaks by things. She's a silent assassin. And that's why it, it, you know they spent so much time building her up where therefore the last couple of seasons, they didn't take that time. And therefore, the emotion and the drama was taken out of a lot of the moments in the show. See, that's that's the thing, though. It just it it didn't. It felt like to me in the moment while watching it, they made that decision to do it for surprise sake, and not because Arya was building up to that point. Um, you may disagree, but while I was watching it, all I thought of was they they started from a conclusion in that episode and they worked backwards. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I, I don't mind the whole. Oh, you never see her get in position or whatever. What I do mind is, is kind of the super, the stupid, cliched action trope at the end to kill him, in a just in a TV show that was never built on that. It was never built on the on on the spectacle. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is this is you know a little more deeper gripes, but okay. it just yeah. And so I, my my overarching point was that. When you have sloppy writing like this, it spills over into other earned character traits. So what what should have been a really, really cool moment for Arya felt empty to me because of the disappointment of the resolution of the Night King story. Because it was so anticlimactic okay. and just, and really, That's it fair. just, um, they, they had built up this entire threat and I think... One of the reasons why all of us were so intrigued by it is because we were waiting for the payoff of that. What is his goal? What is what is his end game? What does he want to do? Because we were conditioned by the show to think everybody is nuanced. There's shades of gray to everybody. Everybody has a point. Um, and they sort of built up the Night King for six seasons or really seven seasons to be exactly the same way. And when in the very end, it just turned out that Arya had to stab him with a with a magic dagger to kill all the White Walkers in the end. That's really cheap and feels just like really. Uh, it makes me feel kind of sick because nothing else in the show happened with that um, uh, with that pace and that quickly. Um, so it's just it, it was jarring to me and uh, really just left me incredibly unsatisfied. All right, well this is going a lot longer than I thought it would. I, I mean, I have a couple more things that I thought worked that I know that you don't agree with, <laughs> but. Just like go quick. I mean, I I thought the last episode. I thought John killing Daenerys. I thought that scene worked, just because they've built up John as this guy that can never tell a lie, and then finally he does, just because he needed to kill Daenerys for the realm, for the good of everybody. You know, go back to he couldn't lie to Cersei in season seven about you know bending the knee or whatever, or being neutral. Uh, he he couldn't lie about you know he. Danny or Daenerys it's weird calling her Danny to me Daenerys you know asked him hey don't tell your family about you being a Targaryen he's like ah 
I have to tell my family and he couldn't lie about that, you know, and who knows, maybe if he just would have kept that a secret, then maybe Daenerys doesn't go crazy and people are alive and things work out. So, I mean, finally, he's like, yeah, totally. I'm with you. You're my queen. Stab, stab, stab. You're dead. So I thought that was an interesting kind of full circle moment for John. Uh, I know you didn't like the way it was shot and stuff like that, but I thought it was fine. I, you know, I thought well, not that the way worked. it was shot. I just I don't I don't like the way it unfolded. Like I said, I don't I don't mind the idea of John stabbing Danny to kill her. What I do mind is that it just it uh, it happened it so happened quickly so fast. to the point where it, it it didn't feel earned, and that's yeah. And I um and I and I think that is absolutely a factor in the show. That's that's just that's the feeling while I watch it, and it's and because I watch TV like that, I recognize the poor filmmaking, and it breaks the fourth wall. So yeah. I can't, it's it's really difficult for me to, to be okay with that because I know it was so poorly done. Um, and it this, so I, I guess what can I say worked about this season? The cinematography, the music, the acting was maybe the best a season has ever been. Um, the episode, The Bells, the one where, you know, the penultimate episode, uh, Miguel Sachopnik directed the hell out of that episode, directed the hell out of a really bad script. Um you know, uh, other things I guess worked. I thought episode two, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, I thought that was one of the best episodes of the entire series. And um, maybe that's not surprising to people listening, you know, to the people now listening of, of what I like about this show that maybe not too surprising is that that show was full of a ton of earned character moments, uh, stuff that we were building towards. And so, and it makes it even worse that a lot of those character moments were were unceremoniously undone later in the season. Um <laughs> So I, it's, I mean, obviously you got you, you guys get the point. I I really really disliked the final season. Um, I there were things that there were decisions that they made in terms of where the characters end up that I don't really mind. I don't I don't hate the fact that John goes to live with the wildlings at the end. I think that's appropriate. Um, I don't I don't hate where Sansa and Arya ended up. I think both where they ended up is appropriate. I don't even hate that Bran was the uh, is is the king at the end. It just, how do you make Bran the king and not even hint at any sort of, hey, I actually planned it, planned at this throughout the course of the series? Um, the way that they decided to make Bran the king literally makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> it would have made sense if there would have been a reveal at the end that, hey, Bran has actually been here as a guiding hand all throughout the entire series. That would have made sense. Um, but they didn't do that. They They literally... They have Tyrion come up with the idea that, yeah, Bran just has the best story. Who has a better story than him? Literally everybody. Yeah, that, especially John. Especially John Snow. That. Yeah, everyone. Keeps and John Snow is the rightful king. So, and there was just they. So I, I heard um, I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago, and I think this was after the penultimate episode. It was one of a. It was the Watch. It was a, a Ringer podcast. It was with Chris Ryan and, and Sean Finnessy. And Sean Finnessy said something along the lines that I think is by far the best way to describe this season is that, and, and even maybe the last two seasons, is that it was like, it was like if, if a Wikipedia entry page came to life. They were just going from plot point to plot point, uh, completely disregarding all of the things that made Game of Thrones Game of Thrones. And for somebody who came to love the show because of that, when they betrayed that in the last two seasons, uh, that just does not sit particularly well with me. Yeah, uh, I mean the show. 
I mean, ultimately, like I think I said it, you know, 20 minutes ago, whenever we first started this, I mean, the show is just, it was rushed at the end. And, you know, there's a problem when you get to the series finale of a show like this, with all this buildup. And I didn't feel any emotional connection to John killing Daenerys. And, you know, like, none, none at no. all. And, like, and, you know, one of the two of the biggest characters in the entire show, and one's killing the other one. And it's kind of like, yeah, well, we, we kind of figured that would happen after what happened this week before, but. Okay, let's moving on to the next thing. And I mean, to me, honestly, the most emotional scene of the entire finale for me was at the very tail end for like 20 seconds when John and Arya were saying goodbye, because that was a relationship that was established early on in season one. They finally re- reunited earlier this season after all those years apart. And then they're, you know, they're going their separate ways again. You know, that's like, God, this is kind of sad. And I think a lot of that, too, comes to the fact that you and I, we have a little sister of our own. So you kind of look at it that way. Um, but outside of that scene, there wasn't a whole lot of emotional drama at all in that final episode. And it's just because of how fast they decided to resolve the show. And from me, an emotional standpoint, genu- generally yeah. the, the biggest complaint I have, I I mean, I think they got to where they wanted to go with a decent amount of the storylines. And I just they just they kind of snapped their fingers and just got there too quickly. And it took away all the again, the drama and the emotion and the suspense that that we could have gotten that we had gotten for the first six or seven seasons of the show because they put the time into it. I was going to say, I, I just wanted to tell you there there were some emotional beats that did work for me in the final episode. Um, for me, mostly it was um, I I got kind of emotional when when Tyrion was crying over Jamie and Cersei's dead bodies, uh, just because I thought that was uh, that was finally Tyrion just kind of snapping him, probably thinking, "Wow, these are you know these two people have been um, blessing in my life and also a curse in my life," and um, I, I just thought that was a that was an emotional moment, and also it, the the whole Brienne writing Jamie's story in the book worked for me. I thought that was good. And we definitely need to wrap this up soon because my computer's about to die. All right. Well, I think the show. I'll wrap. I think the show was really good. Here, here's here's my kind of my final thought. The show was really good because it spent a lot of time building up the characters, and a lot of people I think watched the show for a shock value because anybody could die at any time. And I think that was interesting. It was an interesting part of the show, but not the reason why the show was so good. I always found it annoying when people would enter each episode of the final season saying, "Hey." Who's going to die this week? Who do you think is going to die? And I, I never really thought about that. That just wasn't why I watched Game of Thrones. And I don't think that's what the show was about. It was about a bunch of interesting characters navigating their way through a creative and fun fictional world. And then once the books ran out, the big time surprises and plot twists all went away. And it just turned into a typical television show. And to me, the most important thing season eight needed to do was send the characters out properly. And I think this was mostly done well. The problem was, though, they sped through it all, and that just prevented the final season from having the drama and emotion of the first seven seasons. And it's just it's sad because the show was so good and the showrunners didn't want to extend it anymore. And they wanted to kind of wrap up their show and move on. And that's what happened. I believe I just got word that Grant's computer died. So uh, (laughs) I get the last word in this podcast. So until until next time, uh, for those of you that stayed with us through the Game of Thrones stuff, we appreciate it. Hopefully you found that somewhat interesting. Uh, that's it for today. We'll be back next week with at least one way too early opponent preview, plus anything else going on in the college football landscape that needs to be discussed. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.